Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today is my co-host, Curtis, and We aren't calling this an emergency podcast today because in this particular case, I don't think it rises to that level. But regardless, yet again, for the third episode in a row, we do have breaking news to discuss as tight end slash wide receiver slash whatever you want to call him, pass catcher, Eric Gilbert has finally made his decision regarding where he will transfer to and unfortunately... It is not the Georgia Bulldogs. He has decided to join the clown parade down in Gainesville, Florida. Have fun, man. So we will be all over that and several other relevant mailbag questions before wrapping things up with a quick signing day preview segment leading up to Wednesday's National Signing Day. And as you guys can imagine, all this breaking news over the past week, it's really good for content. It's great for that. It's great to have some, some something to talk about during the offseason, when you can kind of get desperate for content at times. We've been there. So on that level, it's great. It's awesome. But when you are an obsessive organizer like me and like to plan things out in advance, it also, at least at least some small part of me, it drives me a little crazy messing with our pre-arranged schedule. But it's all good. You just got to learn to go with it, let it go, go with the flow. But what it does also mean is that things that we had planned to do we might not actually get to. Things like, oh, I don't know, our long-awaited, long-promised postseason awards episode, that episode, things like that, just keep getting pushed further and further back. At this point, we're going to try to fit that episode in sometime over the next week or so, but honestly, it's getting to the point where it's getting so far removed from the actual season that I'm not even sure it really still makes sense to do anymore. But if you guys want it, we'll certainly do it. Uh, We'll try to make that happen coming up here the next week or so. But with signing day coming up, if anything else, if there's any more breaking news of any kind of variety that we have to cover on this show, any more emergency podcasts, we just might not be able to get to that show because it's going to be weird. Like We're going to be like late February, March, getting ready to talk about spring practice, and here we are still trying to do the postseason awards show. So hopefully we can get that in the next week or so. But if not... Just uh, understand that we've just had a lot of stuff that we did not anticipate having to talk about that we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks. We'll just, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll play it by ear here. But as for today, Curtis, we've got to start with the news that hit late yesterday afternoon. In fact, you were the one that texted me about it. You were the first text I got 
about this and I dug into it. So I guess thanks, but no thanks. But you you texted me that Eric Gilbert, tight end, formerly of LSU, will now officially be transferring to the Florida Gators and not the hometown Georgia Bulldogs like all of us were hoping. I don't want to speak for everyone else, but I know I was hoping, Curtis, I know you were hoping. I think everyone listening to the show was hoping that Eric Gilbert would end up transferring to Georgia, but that's not the case. We knew he was going to transfer, but like we kind of it was it, it was weird, right, Kurt? Like we've kind of been in this holding pattern since the end of the season, kind of waiting to see what he was going to do, and then classes start. You think he'd try to transfer before classes start, then classes start, and he still hasn't made a decision yet. We thought maybe he'd take the semester off, maybe get caught up on schoolwork. That was the word. Maybe hold off to the summer and then just kind of show up somewhere this summer because anyone would take him. But alas, he has made his intentions known publicly yesterday. And objectively, it's not good news for the dogs. I think we can say that objectively here. Not only is he not coming to Athens, he's heading to our bitter division rival. And as you might expect, we've gotten quite a few mailbag questions about this over the past 24 hours or so. So, Kurt, let's start with this one. It's a good one to start with. This is from Jaden. Thanks for the question, Jaden. On a scale of 1 to 10, how surprised were you by Gilbert choosing Florida? I thought Kirby would be able to reel him in. Kurt, you and I were kind of texting about this yesterday. When you first saw that news, were you taken aback? How surprised were you on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, I'd probably go with a 3. I mean, realistically, scheme-wise, I'm not surprised because they have Kyle Pitts to you know show off and say, hey, look. Um, that's their big selling point, especially to someone like him. Um, but at the same time, I was surprised with the fact that anybody with a brain is going to look at a roster of a school that they're considering going to and say, who on that team can get me the ball? And I think that was the most surprising part is when you look at Florida, especially Florida, when you look at their quarterback depth chart, you don't have much out there that screams they're going to be able to showcase me. You're not a believer in Emory Jones or Del Rio? Uh, I mean, Emory Jones, his only plus size, he can run and he can puke on the field. Other than that, he hasn't shown me much. Emory Jones is a weird case. He's Obviously, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about him throughout the offseason, but he's one of the rare quarterbacks in this era that has stuck around and not transferred. I mean, a highly rated guy coming out of high school. It has not been immediate success for him. He's gotten on the field sparingly here and there in certain packages, but I mean, not only did Kyle Trask start over him, but you also had Felipe Frank starting over him when he was a young quarterback. But he stuck around. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see how he plays this year. I think that's the wild card. But you're right. Like he's, We've certainly seen nothing to this point from him in his, in his playing time to suggest that he's going to be a guy that's going to consistently be able to get Eric Gilbert the ball like Eric Gilbert wants to get the football. So, yeah, that, that's a great point. I would say, like honestly, on a scale of one to ten, how surprised was I? I would say a one. I was not yeah. surprised at all. Like I, I'm, it makes sense. Honestly, I will say I'm, I'm not going to kill Eric Gilbert for this decision. And on a lot, you're right about the quarterback situation and just the unproven throwing ability at this point of Emory Jones. But everything else about this decision, I don't like it. I hate it. I wish he was coming to Georgia, but it it makes sense from like a business decision standpoint. Do you are you with me on that, Kurt? Does that make sense to you? What, what he's go, where he's going for? Yeah, here? that's what, what I was going? mentioning. You know, I mean, especially when you saw what Kyle Pitts has done. I mean, when you have someone like that to showcase, it's hard to argue against that. And like I said, that was the only part that didn't really surprise me is especially the year he was coming off of. It made yeah. sense. Like that part is what makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously the, the big thing, as you mentioned there, Kyle Pitts, they have a track record, a very recent track record, as recent as last year, 
of what they can do with a tight, not only a tight end, but a tight end that is similar in a lot of ways to Eric Gilbert, guys that truly just want to be receiving tight ends, that have really no interest in blocking at all. That That's not what Kyle Pitts did, and that's not what Eric Gilbert wants to do. Eric Gilbert thinks he's a 245-pound wide receiver. That's what he thinks he is, and that's fine, and, and he can think that all he wants. And I so I get that, yes, okay, not, not only did Florida prove they can feature a tight end that has similar skill sets to him, but also look at this, Curtis. How many playmakers does Florida actually have coming back on offense next year? Not many, and I think that, I mean, we'll probably get a question about how much did it hurt or anything like that. And while it sucked because you always want to, you know, stock up and have as much talent as you can, you know, I've consistently read about how Georgia, this is one of the first times that, especially skill set-wise, not outside the running backs, there's not as many question marks, and you're actually looking at it as a, pos- as a positive for Georgia. And that's not the case for Florida. I mean, they, they lost literally everyone. I think all that, you know, really coming back is Justin Shorter. and um Copeland and those guys are very unproven and haven't been uh featured guys in their own right so I mean they don't have any of those explosive playmakers that the last couple years they have had that have really also helped take the top off four pits and open things up for him absolutely Copeland I think is a guy that can be a good player but he hasn't been the featured guy shorter is just a piece he's fine he's whatever he's not a big he he doesn't really frighten me at all um there's no Kadarius Tony. There's no Siobhan Grimes, and there's no Kyle Pitts, obviously. So, again, it makes a lot of sense. If you look at it, there's not only is there a vacancy at tight end, not only have they proven that they can feature a tight end that has a similar skill set. Probably, I mean, Obviously, Kyle Pitts is going to the first round. That They can put a tight end in the first round with Dan Mullen's offense. You also kind of have a dearth of playmakers returning. There's just not a ton of guys that are coming back that are going to take those balls from Because think about this. If, I and think Florida he doesn't run the ball either. I mean, Exactly. That's another point. Yeah, like – we are far more balanced of an offense running the ball than Florida is. They, I mean, they, they run the ball just to kind of keep you honest to a degree. So that's another factor here as well. And if you look in, in Athens, I mean, look, obviously Eric Gilbert is really good. If he came here, he would, he would certainly find a way on the field. He's a really good player. I'm not trying to down, downplay his ability at all. He's a really good player, a very dangerous receiving threat. But we have Darnell Washington, we have Brock Bowers, we have Fitzpatrick. We are. Lo- I, I, I would say, like, is it a stretch to say we're loaded at tight end, Curtis? I know those guys maybe aren't like super proven at this point, but I think we have a ton of really good prospects at that position. And I, again, I'm not saying that Gilbert wouldn't have been able to rise to the top there and get a lot of playing time, but there's just it, it's a lesser path of resistance at Florida right now, and there's. There's only so many balls go around when you talk about guys like George Pickens and Jermaine Burton and Kiaris Jackson and Zamir White and James Cook and Darnell Washington, hopefully Brock Bowers, all the uh, Kenny McIntosh, uh, Kendall Milton, all these guys. There's all, we have all these playmakers offensively, only so many balls to go around. You get forward and it's like, okay, you have maybe Copeland, um, maybe Nyquan Wright at running back. But outside of that, like they don't have as many guys that they're going to have to split these, these touches. Well, around. and not only that – not only that, but like the guy, like you mentioned, the tight ends that we have, like he might step in and be the best tight end we have, especially receiving wise. But I don't know if he's the best tight end on our roster. But he steps into Florida, none of those guys can hold a can, you know, hold a match to him. Like none of them are anywhere close to what he can do. 
And our scheme is just different. Like we like to go, we do like to go a lot of 12 personnel with two tight ends. So I think he would have certainly seen the field a lot, but again, he's a 245 pound wide receiver. That's what he wants to be. That's what he, that's how he sees himself. He wants to be a Travis Kelsey. That's who he wants to be. He has no interest in blocking. He has absolutely zero interest in that. In our offense, if you play tight end, you have to block. Now I know some people would say, well, you get a guy that talented, you just, you fit your offense around him. And I, I agree with that to a degree, but a big part of what we do, what Todd Monkey does, and we've opened the offense up, but we still want to be relatively balanced. And you're, we're going to ask our tight ends to block. And Gilbert, that's just not what this guy does. That's not what he wants to do. Florida, he will not be asked to do that near as much as he would at Georgia. So again, just if, if I'm him and I'm making this decision, look at all these factors, I get why he made this decision. It makes sense. I don't like it. I wish he came here, but I'm not going to kill the guy. I think he made a business decision. And for all the reasons we just laid out, it kind of makes sense. So I'm not, I'm honestly not surprised at all. I thought Ford had a really good chance to get him. I was hoping the hometown pool trying to stay home because the the whole, at least what we heard, what was rumored was with the transfer from LSU is he wanted to get closer to home. He was homesick, but I don't know how much I buy that. If you're going to Gainesville, I guess Gainesville is closer than Baton Rouge, but still, if you're truly homesick, I don't know why you leave the state of Georgia, but Whatever. People will say whatever to get the remedial eligibility, which I'm sure he will get, which is fine. Whatever. Uh, but all right, let's move on to the next question. Gert, you kind of alluded to this. This is from Steve Reno. I love it. This is Steve Reno of like the old Steve Reno's here in Athens, maybe. I don't know. But Steve Reno asked, how big of a blow is it to lose Eric Gilbert to Florida? I thought they would take a big step back next year without all their weapons, but maybe not so much now. Kurt, that's a good question. How big of a blow is it for us to not land Eric Gilbert for him to end up at Florida? Um, I think it is a big blow, but realistically, one guy is not going to make an entire team. I've, you've seen other teams that have, you know, one one or good couple good players, and yet they still don't have enough to get over it. And I think that's where Florida is right now. Like, as good as he may be, I don't know quarterback wise if they have enough to. Re- I mean, think about Kyle Pitts. He was. I mean, you were hearing about him when Felipe Franks was the quarterback, but he didn't really truly take off till someone like Kyle Trask stepped in, who could consistently get him the ball and was a more accurate quarterback. And I don't know if they have that in Emory Jones, so I'm not I, I'm not positive that his talents will get showcased as well as they could without someone who can get him the ball. Um, I mean, you never want your rivals to get good, but let's be honest. In the SEC, they're going to get five stars and good players, and you just it's the name of the game, and that's how life is. But I'm I don't think it kills us, and I don't think it puts them over the top anywhere close because they have so many more deficiencies to make up. Like you said, mentioned all the playmakers they had before, they don't have that many this year. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and just go to the next question along with us because they're very closely related here, and you're kind of talking about it right now. But Chuck also asked, does Gilbert make for the SEC East favorite again next year? You seem to not think so. Am I am I reading you right here, Kurt? Yeah, I mean, maybe Emory Jones steps in and has a great season, but I don't see him being a Heisman finalist. Like you, Trask most of the times almost had fewer incompletions uh, or almost had more touchdowns than he did incompletions in games that felt like he was just showing out that much. And um, also the talent around him. I mean, last year, it, I mean, as Florida has been, anytime you have Todd Grantham as your defensive coordinator, you have to have a great offense. And I just don't know if that's going to be the case. It lost a lot on the offensive line. Um, running back, I mean, you have some of these transfers that are come in, but he, Mullen has never showed that he can really develop a run game. And in the passing game, like you said, you know, Copeland and people like that may be good, but I think the biggest part of their team that's going to be missing is the Kadarius Tony because I think he was the piece that just made them truly go. And their offense just doesn't scare me as much this year, that, you know, next year. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I, I'm totally in agreement here. Does this make Florida better? Absolutely, it makes Florida better. Does it make the the Does it close the gap between Georgia and Florida 
next year a little bit? Yeah, I think it does. I thought before this Gilbert transfer, we were at, we were clearly the favorite in the SEC East. I still think that we are, but I do think this closes the gap some because a big part of why I was so confident. I mean, they just lost so much off. I mean, we know that Florida last year, the name of the game for them was scoring points. They put up a ton of points. I mean, they, they were breaking records with a quarterback, passing yards, all those things, put up big-time points. But when they were losing all of the guys that helped them put up those points, you take a step back and you say, I know, look, I, I know that Dan Mullen, for all the, the junk we give him, deservedly so, he's a good offensive coach. And he can, he can coach an offense and build an offense. But they're losing so many playmakers. It's so hard to replace it with a new quarterback. I do think Emory Jones is the wild card. Uh, we don't know a ton about him. We know that he's a, he's a mobile quarterback. We don't know exactly what kind of passer he is running that system completely. He has a really good arm, but how consistent is he going to be? Is he going to be as accurate as Kyle Trask? We don't know the answer. I would say the answer is probably no, but we don't know that for sure. But I will say that Emory Jones is more of a traditional fit for the traditional Dan Mullen offense. Dan Mullen did a really good job. I can't give him credit here, but it's true. He did a good job of kind of adjusting his offense to fit Kyle Trask and the talent he had on hand. That's what good coaches do. He's a good coach. He's a good offensive coach. He did a good job of that. And now it's going to be very interesting to see what this offense is like with le- with fewer playmakers than they had last year, but maybe with a quarterback that fits his traditional system a lot better than Kyle Trask did. That's interesting. But you mentioned Florida's defense, Curse. I mean, they're a disaster on defense right now. Do you really expect that to get any better at all next year, Kerr, or like demonstrably better in any way? Um, honestly, no. I mean, they have not recruited at a strong, you know, at a high levels and outside of Kyir Elam and the shoe thrower coming back outside of that, they don't have a lot that really screams that they're going to be a difference maker. Yeah. I do think Kyir Elam is really good, but their, their front seven is just average as grits, man. They're so average in the front seven and you've got to be good in the front seven to win at a high level. And look, I know that we're losing a lot of players on defense. That's what, that's what we're going to hear all off season. That would be the narrative. George is losing so much on defense. I think Bill Connolly actually released his returning production, um, numbers for the first time today and we were very low on defense. I think like 36 percent of our defensive starters returning or defensive production returning and so yeah I know we're losing a lot of guys but this is where all those guys that we play that we find roles for this is where that comes to actually help us this is where that benefits us guys like Adam Anderson have not been the guy but now they will be they've got playing time Nolan Smith same thing Jalen Carter, these guys are going to step up. We have pl- now there are some holes in secondary. There's no doubt there. But now our front seven, we are going to be very, very good. Maybe even potentially better than we were, were last year. And that's hard to imagine. We were really good in front seven last year. Jordan Davis come back is huge. But the, the difference is offensively, Curtis. The the offense, the Georgia offense that Florida faced in Jacksonville this year is a shell of the offense, the Georgia offense they will face next year. We are absolutely loaded on offense. Yes, we have far more talent and playmakers than Florida will have coming back next year. And we spent all year long talking about it's all about offense now. It's about who can score but has enough defense to stop the other teams. And I think that's going to be us. Will our defense be as good as it was last year? Maybe not. I, I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, absolutely, it'll be the exact same defense. Maybe it won't be as dominant as we were last year. But we're going to take such a massive jump offensively, in my opinion, that I think it will more than compensate for that. And you're right. Like, Florida, they have, like, when they are losing these guys, they don't, they have not been recruited the level that we have to just be able to plug and play those guys in and, and not skip a beat. They just, they have not been recruited that level. Our, ro- our roster was better this year. Our roster will certainly be better next year. Now, and I've said, like, I know you guys call me a homer. I know that's fine. But I, I've made no bones about it. I fully, and I, I will stand by this. I really believe. By the end of the year, once JT Daniels 
really establish himself as our starting quarterback, a healthy Georgia team with JT Daniels at quarterback was better than Florida. I think Georgia, I think we last year at our best were better than Florida at their best, in my opinion. Now, that's not how it works. You know, we, when we played them, JT wasn't our starter. We weren't completely healthy, and they beat us pretty easily, right? We know that. But I think by the end of the year, our roster, once it was fully activated and healthy, we were better than Florida. And I, and I think that gap is going to be wide this year. Gilbert does close it to a degree, but I don't think that one player that you said, Kurt, makes that much of a difference when now, where now Florida is the head and shoulders above SEC East favorite. No, I think they're going to they're, they're gonna be good. They're going to still be good on offense. They're going to be a good team. They'll probably win nine or ten games. But I think we have a potential national title contender on our hands next year, and I just don't see that from Florida. I don't think they're good enough on defense. I don't think they have enough weapons around Eric Gilbert like they had last year that made Kyle Pitts so, so dangerous. Because you're right, Curtis. I'm so glad you mentioned him. Kyle Pitts was great. But without Kadarius Tony, Kyle Pitts would have been great. He would not have been as great. It was the both of them, like those guys, it was kind of a symbiotic relationship. They needed each other to be as dangerous as they were. Now, Kadarius Tony, even when Kyle Pitts didn't play, he still put up big numbers. He was a really good slot receiver. But when you have those two guys working out of the slot, that makes it very, very difficult because one of those guys is going to have single coverage almost every single play. And Whoever has single coverage, they're going to win that matchup majority of the time. And they did that all year long. That's why they were so dangerous. You had a quarterback that can, that can deliver it with, an act, with accuracy. It made them really tough to handle. But, yeah, I'm with you. I think that we, are, we should still be the SEC's favorite. But, yeah, let's close the gap maybe a little bit. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. But all right, that does it for the Eric Gilbert talk. But we do have a few more mailbag questions relevant to some of the news surrounding the football program from the past week, which we've touched on a little bit. But uh, we have some different angles with these questions, so we'll definitely get to those. And we're going to start with Andrew. This is a really cool question, Curtis. I'm curious to see where you go with this. Andrew asked, of the three five-star quarterbacks Kirby Smart has landed at Georgia, so that would be Justin Fields, Brock Vandengrift, and now Gunnar Stockton. We haven't officially signed Gunnar Stockton, but I think unless something catastrophic happens, Gunnar Stockton is going to be signing with Georgia when it's time for him to sign. So of those three five-star quarterbacks that Kirby has landed, Curtis, which one do you think will end up having the best career when it's all said and done? Fields, Vandegrift, or Stockton? It's an interesting question. Um, Fields had a great career. Um, there's no way other than to say he really did have a great career, especially when he went to Ohio State. It, you know, it, he blew up. Um, you know, he is not having the greatest NFL prospects right now with some of the d- habits he's developed. But he did have a great career at Ohio State. Um, between the Wait, three two I, games, I think he lost two games at Ohio State. Is that right? Um, two games in two years, I believe so. Because I believe they were undefeated last year too. Also, yeah, I think that they lost both years in the postseason. Yeah. Um, but outside of Fields, if especially when it comes down to between Vandegrift and Gunner, I may go with Vandegrift just because of what he may be walking into. Um, realistically, you got to think that. 
he is walking into an easy route to where he gets to sit for a year, especially be comfortable in the system if he wins the job his uh, coming into his sophomore year or his second year at Georgia. Um, he'll have a stable of receivers who have been here for multiple years. He'll have people like Marcus Roseme, Trey Burton, Ron Elson help him along the way. And the way it looks right now, there's going to be some receivers coming in with Stockton or you hope that guys will want to come and play with him. So I think he may benefit from the upperclassmen and some of these young guys also wanting to come in and play. And I also I think that by then we'll have an experienced offensive line because going into this year, you have a lot of guys that are going to come out fighting for spots. And I, so I think that's why it's a big thing that he is – he's just going to have a lot of experience around him and comfort, comfortability with the system. So I think I could see him having a great career at Georgia and just the skill set he offers where he's mobile but also a great passer. Do you – so you're saying – by saying Vandegrift, you're predicting him – to win the job in 2022 and beat out Gunnar Stockton. Is that what you're saying? I think so. I just think that unless Stockton comes in and just wows you right away, it's going to be hard for a guy like that, especially when your first game is against Oregon in the Atlanta, you know, the Peach Bowl or whatever you want to call it, that first game of the year. Um, It's going to be hard for someone like that to step in, uh, especially when Vandergriff will have a whole year in the system, maybe even getting reps. You don't know how they're going to handle him, but he'll at least have a year in the system building some – just building comforts in the system and everything about it. And I think that's going to be hard to overturn because he is a great player in his own right. Yeah. I do think that year in the system will give him a, a certainly a little bit of an edge. It's not as much of an edge as it would if he was the star, like Jay Fromm was his, his freshman year coming his sophomore year in that battle with Justin Fields. It's not the same, but you can't discount being in the system and also getting reps at practice. Now he's not going to get reps, a ton of reps with the ones, but he's still going to get reps in practice with that scheme in that system. That's very, very valuable. I do think, and I said this last week, I think that Brock Vandegrift is going to beat out Gunnar Stockton. If I had to predict right now, and I, I'm not saying that Gunnar has no chance. Gunnar can absolutely come in and beat him out. There's no doubt. It's certainly going to be a really good battle. And I have no favorites here. I said this last week. I want the best player to win that job. But if I had to predict right now, you're asking me to predict, I would say it would be Brock Vandegrift. I, and I, re- I laid those reasons out last week. and check that out last week. I don't want to waste too much time on that, just kind of rehashing it. And it's, you're right, Chris. It's really hard to not say Justin Fields. Is this guy, I mean, got made the college playoff two times, got to the national title game, uh, only lost two games in his entire career. I mean, he had a, a fantastic career at Ohio State. I wish it would happen to Georgia, but a fantastic career nonetheless at Ohio State. But you know, Kurt, the one thing he didn't do, he did not win a national title. And a lot of quarterbacks don't win national titles, right? It's not a knock on, on Justin Fields at all. But here's what I'm going to say. I think Brock Vandegrift is going to win national title at Georgia. Am I crazy, Curtis, to say that? No, I honestly think that's a very fair thing to argue. Uh, I mean, I, I think the way we're recruiting and the hunger – I just think the way the program is going that it's if not – Yes, I think it's an if question, and I think yeah. that he may be – receive the benefit of some groundwork already laid ahead of him. Absolutely, absolutely. It's not just, it's not just about Brock – you mentioned the team around him, that what we've been recruiting, what we've been building, what we've been doing. We've been knocking on the door, guys. We haven't knocked it down yet, but we are just on the brink of just blowing that, just blowing it away, knocking that, just destroying that door. And I think Brock Vandegrift is going to be the quarterback that breaks through. And it could be JT Daniels this year. I, I still not ready to go that far yet. We have a lot of time in the offseason to break that down and talk about it. Let me think about that. But I think sometime within the next four to five years, it's going to happen. And I think Brock Vandergriff is going to win a national title at Georgia. And by virtue of that, I think that would put him over Justin Fields in terms of the, the careers that they had. Fields has been, was fantastic and had a great career, but he didn't win the national title. I think Brock's going to do it. 
I believe in Brock Vandegrift as a leader, as a player, as a talent. I love the talent around him, what we've been building here, our coaching staff. And I think Brock Vandegrift will win a national title before he leaves the University of Georgia. So I'm going to give the slight edge to him. It's really tough to pick anyone over Justin Fields. He's the only one that's done it at the college level. But projecting forward, I'm going to go with Brock. I'm going to go with Brock. All right, uh, moving on here. All right, this is a great question. Uh, our, our great friend Josh, always great to hear from Josh. Thanks, buddy. Josh asked, with all the talk of JT, Brock, and Stockton, I'm curious as to where Carson Beck fits into everything. He has a year in the system and traveled to some of the games this year. He was a highly rated recruit. Does he not have a say in the quarterback depth chart at all? Curtis, this is a good question. Like, this is the guy we don't talk about. We talk about JT Daniels. We're talking about Brock Vandegrift. Now we're talking about Gunnar Stockton. And no one even stops to talk about Carson Beck. And I, I, I don't want to speak for everyone. I was pretty excited when he committed. I was pretty high on him. And I still am high on him. Does he Is he just completely out of the conversation here, Curtis? Does he not have any chance at all to come out of this and be the guy at quarterback? Um, I think he'll have a say in it. But I think the biggest thing that's going to hurt him is – I don't know if he is what Todd Munkin is looking for. Uh, I think that's going to be the biggest thing for him. I think he is a good quarterback in his own right, but realistically, certain, you know, I think he may be a casualty. Uh, I, I truly believe that because when Munkin changed it, you kind of saw a change in our recruiting scheme of what he was looking for in quarterbacks. And uh, if you notice, Munkin really, really zeroed in on Brock Vandegrift. And that's yeah. why I think that he, that's someone like, when a coordinator comes in and does that, I think it kind of is a big telltale sign of, hey, this is, you know, what I want going forward. And that's why I think that while Beck is a good quarterback in his own right, I just don't know if he is what our coaches want long term at that quarterback position. What is it about his skill set that makes you think he doesn't necessarily fit what our coaches want? Is it because he's not quite as mobile? Well, I don't know if it has anything to do – I mean, he is mobile, but he's mobile I honestly don't know if he's as good as passer as Vandegrift is. I think that Van, the Vandegrift has more of the gunslinger mentality to where he can throw the ball all over the field. I, I mean, I think it's hard to look at Van out there that he can't make. It's really tough to say because we have not seen anything of Carson Beck at the college level. Now, he, he is going to have a, a, a year on, on Brock and a, two years on Stockton if he sticks around and goes into that battle, which I think he will. I, I do think that Carson Beck's going to stick around and try to win that job in 2022. That would be my, my guess on that. We, we'll see what happens, but I think that he will unless he kind of reads the writing on the wall and is like, eh, this is not going to work out for me. I'm going to go elsewhere. It's possible. But I think there's a good chance he sticks around and tries to win that job and, and is certainly factors into that battle. I, so I, we've not seen any of these guys at the college level. All we have to go on is what we've seen from them at the high school level. Brock's tape, and I think, granted, I've seen Brock live more than I've seen Stockton or Carson Beck live, but I think Brock was a much more productive and much more advanced high school quarterback. That's, and I, we've mentioned this before in, in, in reference to Carson Beck. This guy was a high-level baseball player up until like his junior year of, of high school, and he didn't become a full-time football player really until his junior year of high school. Brock and Stockton, like they've been born and bred to be quarterbacks, like to play football. That's what those guys do. So Carson, although he's a little bit older, will have more of a more time in the system than either Brock or Stockton. He w- he had further to go as a quarterback. He was just simply not as polished coming out of high school. And I really, honestly, not even close to as polished as Brock Vandegrift or Gunnar Stockton, and certainly not as productive as Brock or Stockton. Now he did win. Uh, he he did make a big run in the uh, in the state playoffs as a junior. As a, as a senior, there were a lot of players around him that left. He was not nearly as productive as Brock and Stockton. Now, he was certainly played a higher classification. you got to say that. No doubt there. 
But I'm not ready to completely just write him off of the, out of this conversation. I think he's going to factor in. I think he will come and he'll put his best foot forward. I just, I just don't know if he – this is tough to say because we just haven't seen him – in person uh, at the college level. But in high school, he was not as advanced, going through reads, wasn't as accurate with the football, never completed more than 50% of his passes as a high school quarterback. In fact, his senior year, he was under 50% as a passer. And I I just, I didn't see as much from him as I did from Brock Vinegriff and Gunnar Stockton. And you're right, Curtis, he is mobile. He can move around a little bit, but he's nowhere near as much of a threat as a runner as either Gunnar Stockton or Brock Vandegrift, who both have at least 1,000-yard rushing season under their belt as high school quarterbacks. He's just not that kind of dual threat with his legs. And even if all things are equal as a passer and understanding coverages and going through progressions, that kind of thing, if all things are equal, don't you kind of defer to the, one of the quarterbacks that can actually make plays with his legs? So because of that, I would give an edge to Brock or Stockton. But look, you never know how a guy's going to develop once he gets into the college level, once he once he starts getting college coaching. Again, he will have an extra year on these guys. So it's certainly not out of the question. I just don't think I would call him the favorite. But it's a great question, Josh, because we do kind of just tend to ignore Carson Beck and just write him off. And I think that we should wait a second before we do that, because I, I do think he's going to stick around, and I think he's going to factor in this battle, and he'll, he'll give it everything he's got. And again, hey, if it's Carson Beck, if he's the guy that comes out of, out of the out of the pack in 2022 as, as the best option, then awesome. Let's go. I don't care. I want to be the best quarterback, and uh, we'll, we'll have to find out who that's going to be. All right, Kurt, one more thing before we talk about some signing day stuff. We've got one quick question. I don't know if, it, if all of you caught this today, but Ron has a question about Logan Johnson from Prince Avenue, wide receiver, one of Brock Vandergriff's leading wide receivers, coming as a preferred walk-on. So Ron asks, what do you think about Logan Johnson as a, as a preferred walk-on? He did actually commit to us today on Monday as a preferred walk-on. Does this guy have any chance of ever actually playing real snaps for Georgia? Kurt, does Logan Johnson have a shot to really be a factor? Um, I honestly don't think so. Um, I think that's one of those things, especially as a preferred walk-on, you had nothing to lose by offering him. Um you know, he probably has good – I mean, you're going to expect someone that's going to prefer walk-ons to have good grades and everything, so you don't really lose any scholarship spots. And if he outperforms and ends up playing, then, you know, it's a victory for you and you're on right. But right now I just don't see it happening um, while he's shifting and everything like that. I think the one thing he misses is that some of these smaller guys that you've seen be good, especially in the SEC, is a little bit more quickness and burst, and I think that's the one thing he misses. See, I disagree with you a little bit there. Is he the fastest guy in the world? Not necessarily, but I think he has plenty of burst and plenty of good enough speed if he got on the field to actually make a difference. I don't think that's what could potentially hold it back. And, and you're right about his quickness. In a short area, in a phone booth, this guy has elite short area quickness. And as a slot receiver, which is what he would be playing if he got on the field, I mean, that is the name of the game. It's all about shiftiness. It's all about quickness, short area quickness, being, being able to get in and out of cuts, running those choice routes, those option routes, all those kind of things. And I think he could absolutely excel doing that. Now, is he going to be proficient doing some of the other things that receivers are asked to do in our system, namely blocking on the perimeter? As, as a guy who's 5'6", about 180 pounds, that is going to be a tougher ask for him. But here's what I will say about Logan Johnson. I've seen this guy play probably five or six times. And every time I watched him play, I left thinking, okay, Brock Vandegrift is clearly the best player in the field, but Logan Johnson is the second best player in the field. Now, granted, in the interest of full disclosure, that is single A private in the state of Georgia. That is the lowest classification in the state of Georgia. That has to be said. 
But this guy was a flat out baller in high school. He, I think he was two, a two-time All-State player, over 1,000 yards receiving in two separate seasons. This guy was straight up productive and a beast at the high school level. Now, single A private in Georgia, SEC football, obviously a different animal. And I will say, Kurt, I, I kind of agree with you in saying that the most likely outcome here is that Logan Johnson is never really a major contributor, doesn't really play any meaningful snaps for the University of Georgia as a receiver. That's probably the most likely outcome because you just don't see five foot six, 150 pound wide receivers making an impact on an SEC football team, especially an SEC football team that has national championship and playoff aspirations. You just don't see that. However, saying that, I'm not counting this guy out. This dude has overcome any obstacle put in his way. He has proved everybody wrong that has ever doubted him. From my understanding, he had to actually transfer to Prince Avenue in the first place because the high school, middle school, high school that he was at, that system he was in, the coaches basically told him, we just got to be honest with you. We don't see you as a varsity football player, varsity wide receiver. And he wouldn't prove them wrong. He absolutely did. There's no doubt about it to the point where he is getting a preferred walk-on spot at the University of Georgia. And guys, preferred walk-ons, those are precious spots. No, they're not scholarship players, but not everyone gets a preferred walk-on spot. That's actually a pretty big deal for a guy like Logan Johnson. And I totally get that the odds are stacked against him. You have to admit that. But again, this guy has proven everybody wrong at every stop along his way. And I wish wouldn't I wouldn't count him out. I just simply would not count this guy out. He does have a certain skill set that could be a fit if we choose to use him correctly. Now, obviously, there's gonna be a lot of really highly rated guys in front of him that he's gonna have to overcome and he's gonna have to to beat them out. And again, is that likely? Probably not. But again, not impossible. Wouldn't count this guy out. And I will certainly be rooting very hard for him. I root for all of our guys. I want the best players to play. But it's it's really hard to not root for a guy like this that's kind of been doubted and overlooked at times in his life based on something he has no control over. The guy has no control over the fact that he's five foot six, he's a small guy. He has no control over that. But what I love about this guy and guys like this is that he controls what he can control. He controls how hard he works, what he does out there in the field, and the things that are under his control, this dude has just balled out with. And there is something to be said for somebody who just wants it, for pure willpower. Again, I know there's a lot of people that want things, and willpower isn't on its own necessarily enough to accomplish your athletic dreams, but there's a lot to be said for just having the heart and the will of a champion. And so far through his career, Logan Johnson has has exemplified that. So let's not completely count this guy out. That's all I'm saying. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, and finally, got about 10 minutes left here. Signing day is this Wednesday, and most of our heavy lifting is already done in the early signing period this year. But there is at least one big target left on the board, and that is defensive back Terion Arnold out of Tallahassee, Florida. 
We are in desperate need of defensive backs, and he certainly fits that bill. So, Curtis, my first question, this is a question for me. He's a borderline top 100 prospect nationally, about six foot, 180. How good is this guy? Is Are we getting excited about him because he's that good, or is it more that we're just so desperate for anyone in the defensive backfield that we're willing to get excited about somebody? Um, I think it's a little bit of both, I think, because especially he's like the biggest guy, one of the biggest guys left on the market, so there's a lot of buzz around him. And I think he is really good and could come in and play, but I don't think like compared to some of these other guys that we've recruited and gotten in the last couple of years that he's anywhere as good as they have been. So like, in terms of like Keely Ringo, you don't see it like a Jalen Kimber, you don't see him at the same level as those guys? Maybe closer to Kimber, but definitely not on the level of Keely Ringo. Oh, no. Keely Ringo, I mean, could potentially be a top five draft pick in the NFL draft in a couple of years. Terry and Arnold, I don't. I think he can be a draft pick. I don't know if he's going to be a top five guy. I don't think he's got that kind of upside. But you, you, I, I think it's fair to say it's a little bit of both. I do think Terry on Arnold is, is a really good player. He's one of those guys that is a, a thumper in the in the back end. It's, he's, I think he's a true safety. I think he maybe potentially play a little bit at star as well. But he he's not huge, about six foot six, one hundred eighty pounds. But he will strike you. He's got really good closing speed. I do think he's a really good athlete. Good solid ball skills. He's flashed on tape. But is he like a, a like a top twenty five guy? I don't know if he's a top twenty five guy nationally. I do think he's fairly rated right right as like a fringe top one hundred guy. That's that's what he is. He's a borderline top one hundred prospect. I think that's fair. And I look, I would be thrilled to get him because you're right. Kurt, most of these high, highly rated guys, they've already signed. They signed the early signing period. So of the guys left, he's one of the top guys left. And we have such a need in the defense of backfield that absolutely I want this guy. And he's going to have serious playing time opportunities if he decides to pick the University of Georgia. So, of course, I want him. I do think he's a really good player. I don't necessarily think he's like a top 20 type guy. But top 100, absolutely. Can top 100 prospects be big-time players? Of course they can. So I think he has a chance to be a really good player for us in the back end, and we have a lot of need for that right now. So, uh, yeah, I, I would certainly be extremely excited if we end up landing this guy on Wednesday, we got a couple quick questions here, Curtis, from some of our listeners. Jake asked, what is your prediction on Terry on Arnold? What kind of chance do you give Georgia to land him? Kurt, right now, if you had to handicap it, which way are you leaning? I'd probably just say he goes to Bama. I mean, right now they just have a lot to sell. Um, but I think at the same time it could go either way, but that would be my guess right now. I know this is a cop-out. Like, I truly think it's 50-50 right now. It seems like Florida's out of the picture. They were there for a while. It was top three is technically Georgia, Florida, and Alabama. But the word around town and just, you know, among different recruiting writers that Florida's basically out of this. It's really a Georgia-Alabama battle. And, and he, like, look, Kirby Smart's won his fair share of battles head-to-head with Nick Saban. He's also lost some as well. There's some high-profile ones he's lost. But he's also won some high-profile battles against Nick Saban. So I think it's truly 50-50. I'm not even sure like he's completely sold on where he's going to go. I did see uh, one of our listeners, I think it's Jonathan. I appreciate this, Jonathan. Jonathan sent me an interview I think he did with Chad Simmons from Rivals. Did you see this, Curtis? Mm-mm. And, uh, well, in this interview, they, of course, are asked some questions about his top three and how hard your choice is. And, he, and, like, when did you make your mind up? He's like, man, I didn't make my mind up until yesterday with – and he kind of stops himself. So it sounded like he almost, like, spoiled the whole thing and said, George, he caught himself and then kind of went off and said something else. And look, maybe he's playing like 3D chess and like completely trying to troll everybody and doing that. But if you watch the video, if some of you have seen that, it didn't look like that's the case. I think he like genuinely is a kid who's not used to doing interviews and almost just like made a, a little slip there and let the cat out of the bag. So I actually, I feel pretty good here. I, I think it's probably 50-50, but because after watching that interview, I'm going to upgrade our chances to 60-40. So I, he certainly could go to Alabama. I don't know, but 
I'm going to lean ever so slightly in our favor, which would be a big benefit to this class as we certainly need demons and backs in a bad, bad way right now. And our last question, Curtis, here, as I said, we've done most of our heavy lifting in the early signing period. I think we have uh, 83 guys on scholarship as of right now. But Gary asked, I know we're all watching for Terry on Arnold on, on Wednesday, but are there any more prospects we should keep an eye on on signing day? Any potential surprises out there? So, Kurt, is there any name that our listeners should be watching for outside of Arnold? Um, I don't have the name on the top of my mind, but I believe there's a linebacker. Um, that Georgia may look into, but outside that, I don't think you're going to see anything else really. It may be saved for the transfer portal. Yeah, I don't now with the transfer portal, like the days of like if you miss on one of you, like Mark Rick used to always do this, right? Like if you miss on one of your your big time prospects right at signing day, then you throw out a, a late offer to somebody that's like kind of like a, a B or C plan, right? I think with it with the transfer portal, like those Crowder, yeah, oh sure, yeah, take Crowder, a Brennan Douglas, remember Brennan Douglas back in the day like those plan B, C, and D guys, I, I don't think you just are going to see guys get random scholarships like that anymore. I know Lad McConkey kind of got <laughs> one last year, but with the, the transfer portal, and it's like the guys are going to get immediate eligibility here very shortly. It's probably going to pass very shortly. I think those scholarships that people would, that teams would throw out late to some of these you know, backup plans, I think those more often than not are going to be safe for the transfer portal. I, I, I truly believe that. So if we miss on Terry on Arnold, who's one of the top remaining targets, probably the top remaining target left on our board, I don't think we're going to take a flyer on maybe a, a less a, a less heralded prospect. I just don't see that. And right now, like I said, I think by my count, we're at 83. We have 85 scholarships to offer. I think we're at 83 right now. Now, of course, could some guys transfer, get kicked off, kicked off the team? Could there be attrition? Of course there could. And there probably will be. Every year there usually is. But right now we're at 83. And you know that Kirby, like we need some defensive backs that can come in and play right away. Could that be Arnold? Absolutely. But we also need some guys in the transfer portal that might eventually come open. So I strongly believe that if uh, we don't land Arnold, that we're going to keep those spots open for some potential transfers. So I don't really see anyone in the 2021 class. I just don't think that's in the cards this year. I think most of our work's done outside of Arnold. I will say, though, there's a guy, a big-time defensive tackle out of Texas, Bear Alexander, 6'3", 325, He's a top 150 prospect right now out of the state of Texas. And uh, right now, the the word is he's going to be committing on Wednesday. He's a 2022 guy, so it'll be for next year. But right now, it seems like our chances are really high right now for him. So we might get a, another commitment. It just won't be for the 2021 class. So watch out for, for Barrett Alexander. And if we hear anybody else, we'll certainly throw it out there on social media for you guys as well. But right now, I think it's Terry on Arnold or Bust in the 2021 class. All right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Charlie and I will be back later on this week. And what we'll be doing on our second episode this week is we're going to be holding ourselves accountable. We did this last year. We might have done it the year before, but we definitely did it last year where we're going to go back and look at our preseason predictions, hold ourselves accountable, and look at what we got right and what we got wrong. There's a fair amount of both, so we'll have some fun with that, kind of calling ourselves out, maybe patting ourselves on the back a few times here and there for what we got right during the preseason. So that should be fun later on this week. And then Curtis and I will be back first thing next week to recap sign day. The reason we're not recapping sign day this week it's just a scheduling thing. Curtis has got some uh, law school responsibilities that he's got to take care of on Wednesday and Thursday this week, and he wants to be here to talk recruiting. So we're going to push that back to early next week, first day next week. We'll have that for you guys. So a lot of stuff to look forward to in the next week or two, guys. But again, thanks for listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>